Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Back to the Neil Haley Show and also the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. Excited to welcome the first Caregiver Dave to Sandy. Dave, how are you? I know you're doing, doing well, great. man. Yeah, you great. just keep, it's, it, Finally, the weather's bad, good in L.A. again, right? Finally, finally. All right. My guest today is Nick Buick, and he's a house music producer, singer, and songwriter, and DJ. Nick, how are you, man? Thanks for stopping by. I'm great. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, let's just kind of jump into this, Nick. This DJ, DJing first, house music, singer, what was first? Um, it was kind of a progression. Uh, I, when I was about 11 years old, uh, back in Ohio, they test your voice, and they put you in either band or choir, yeah. and they put me in choir, and I sang for a long time. Uh, I actually studied classical opera, believe it or not. Really? Um, <clears throat> and then I left that and, uh, you know, got into the real world, uh, Came back to it shortly thereafter, you know, as I got older, uh, wanting to express myself, uh, went into DJing, uh, producing music, and then singing again, but singing uh, and writing in a pop style, which was kind of, you know, hard to learn at first. Um, but uh, I guess the real progression was, uh, weirdly enough, opera singer, uh, DJ, producer, songwriter, singer. So <laughs> kind of like a circle, but a, a very messed up version of the circle at the end so <laughs> very very good wow did your parents uh, give you a lot of support in those younger years uh they they uh they did what they could uh they didn't understand i don't think that this could be a career or anything <laughs> um i'm actually from i think close to you guys i'm from youngston near youngston ohio warren ohio uh, I think you guys are, are doing this from Pittsburgh, correct? Or is that incorrect? I'm from well, LA. I'm, he's from Pittsburgh. Yeah, I'm, but now I'm in Dallas. But no, this is nationally syndicated. Got it. Stand corrected. Okay. Okay. So no worries. Let's go, Nick. Specifically enough, you know, then all these things happen in church. So you kind of took the the choir and all these things and music and kept it and tried to put it into more of a different spin. Your music, right? Kind of explain. Well, yeah. You know, I, I was encouraged to not go that direction, uh, you know, so I, I listened to other people um, and I prepped my life to do something else. And then uh, it just so happens that it later surfaced and reared its head again in a different way. Um, so I had to express myself musically somehow. Uh, I really repressed it for a long time. I just thought, oh, I can't go. I can't study opera. I can't. I actually got into music school. When I was younger, you know, I can't possibly do that. I have to go to law school. I have to uh, prep my brain for making money. Um, and I ended up going to law school uh, for like a week, <laughs> actually less than that, maybe like a day or two. And then uh, I was like, I can't, I can't, just can't do this. So, um, you know, kind of a, you know, sign to parents out there. If, if your kid wants to do something, just let them do it. Or <laughs> I don't think my parents meant to dissuade me really it was more subconscious uh but eventually reared its head a different way which i'm very thankful for because i'm glad i'm a pop singer i'm glad i'm a um, you know pop producer i'm glad i'm not an opera singer that's for sure um so um yeah that's really the story do you have the opera voice i mean could you have been you know it's as funny. An opera singer? <laughs> it's funny a friend of mine uh who actually is a, a teacher at usc um uh, my alma mater <laughs> oh yeah nice uh he studied classical music and he 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 wanted me to perform um an old piece i'd learned by schumann and i tried it and i pretty much almost had it so he was he was pretty impressed this was literally three days ago 
Really? So let's yeah. kind of, so Nick, tell us more about the music, like define house music for me. I'm interested in that. House music um, is very basic. It's it's what's called four on the floor. So it's like, mm, 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 mm. you know, it's in four fourths time. Uh, the basis of it is um, really the four beats per, per measure. And uh, it's really centered on the beats. Um, and it takes samples of vo vocals and voices and doesn't really focus. It does have song structure, but doesn't focus on um, the full songwriting formula, whereas pop does. Pop has a sort of A, B, A, B, C, and then back to A formula. Uh, house music it does have that structure somewhat, but it's totally different. It's more simple. And it was a way for me to kind of, uh, in a way, simply get into music again, not having too much pressure, like, oh, I'll just take a vocal, somebody else's vocal, and just kind of manipulate it and put a beat to it. And then I'll DJ and I'll play around with it. Um, and then <clears throat> later, I, I, I wanted to know more. I wanted to know songwriting. Uh, and so I learned songwriting at Icon Collective, uh, which is a school in Burbank. Um, and then I thought, well, why don't I just try singing again? It's like, no, I can't sing. Uh, so, you know, in 2020 or so, um, my teacher said, you know, you should try singing on your own tracks. Uh, and then the pop voice will come. So I did. And uh, I learned songwriting and I learned how to sing in a pop style. And then I said, well, I'm not going to produce other people's voices. I'm not going to do remixes of of, you know, like Rihanna or, or somebody anymore. I'm just going to do my own music. Um, and then I just said, I'm going to go for it. So here I am. Wow. So long story short, house music is really simple. And it was a way for me to play to get to where I am now and to come full circle uh, in a very different way from where I was when I was younger. You know, there's a lifelong uh, debate on entrepreneurs. Are they born or are they raised? Uh, do you consider yourself an entrepreneur or are you more artistic? Uh, was it hard to figure out how to make money with what you're doing or was it very easy? You know, if you have the mindset of coming and uh, doing this as a nine to five, putting the time in in sort of unorthodox ways um, and then thinking of it as a, almost like a, a pitch, like a salesperson, like, you know, 90% of the people are going to say no or 99%, but one person might give you a booking, might, one person might give you a gig. If you come to it with some sort of um, business experience as a maybe telemarketer would, I think that could be very beneficial. Um, sales. Yeah, yeah. Sell, you market yourself, you sell yourself. And that was hard to learn for a long time. I, it really takes both. You have to be creative. And for a long time, I was creative. Uh, and then I, I made a song like, okay, what now? And I, for a while, I, I just made songs and let them sit there. But then I realized, okay, it's time for me to get these out here. I've got a product. I got to market this product. Um, and it's a whole, it's like a different person. It's like Nick Buick is the creator. Different and this hat. other person is his booking agent, his, uh, you know, our person, everything else. It's like two different people. So definitely. So, what, yes. so, so what's, what's the latest news on you, Nick? for performing and all that, where can people learn? I'm um, trying to secure, uh, to be honest, I haven't um, fully bounced back from, even from COVID, you know, I was performing a lot before then. Um, but um, I'm trying to secure some gigs on the Sunset Strip on some venues. I'm not going to say them because I don't have, they're not hundred um, percent, you know, booked yet, but, you know, performing live is what I absolutely love to do. It's, it's number one. And I'm working actually right now on some um, tracks, some backing tracks. Mm -hmm. um, and put, you know, putting my show together and, and hiring some dancers and kind of putting the theme together. So, excellent. You said you went to school and learned how to write music. I always thought it was just a natural gift that it just flows out of you. How do, how does someone teach you how to write music? They don't. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> um, they taught me how to uh, court the muse. Let's say, uh, yeah. So they taught they taught me how to. Um, they, they, they basically, uh, you know, when you, like, let's say a workout, you can't teach someone to lift something, you know, like to bench press, but you can give them technique and show them the right way to do it and then tell them, you know, to start light and then go to higher, higher weights and that sort of thing. So there were a lot of people that were taught the same things that I were taught that, that are not songwriters right now. Mm. Um, but it, it opened up a sort of like, a it cracked open a sort of window, um, 
and uh, I had always thought of melodies and things like that. I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't know anything about structure. Um, I didn't know the concept of space. Um, I didn't know your pre-chorus had to be had to give space. It's called space. It has to be a little sim more simple. Um, I know you know a lot of the tricks, um, and I you know uh, they they tend to work. So. Did you have a lot of discouragement in the beginning? I mean, did it come quickly or did, was it a struggle? No, it came easily. Uh, <laughs> Thus the uh, uh, the gift. Yeah, it came, it came easily, um, you know, and um, writing lyrics came easily. Writing, writing melodies came easily, but I didn't know anything about song structure. Uh, melodies can come to you within a moment. They can come to you in your sleep, even. They can come to you in the shower. Um, it, there's really no telling how they are out. they get out there. Uh, it's a complete mystery. Who knows where they come from? And then, and then when you try to write a melody, um, like when you really try to make it happen, you cannot do it. <laughs> it is really hard sometimes. Not always. Um, it's from God. <laughs> maybe you know, you know, potentially. I All right. So Dave has a caregiving question. Go ahead, Dave. So I'm a caregiver, uh, married for 25 years at the time, and my wife has this headache, turns into a stroke, um, loses her speech, becomes paralyzed on one side. We go through the grief process. We almost break up because she's so angry and bitter. And I go to a caregiver support group. Uh, they, I'm taught to put my mask on first, take care of me first. I did. She started coming around. Our love was rekindled. I became Dave, the caregiver's caregiver, to help other caregivers go through or not go through what I went through. And now I speak all over the country, all over the world, and I've been on 50-plus TV stations uh, just doing my thing. Now I host caregiver wellness retreats in Acapulco to help caregivers stay alive since 30% of them die before their loved ones do just from the stress. Like, oh, wow. Uh, so I've got a website, caregiverdave.com. Uh, question to you, Nick, is um, I know you're kind of young, but uh, has caregiving touched your life uh, with your family, relatives, friends? Uh, my best friend, um, that's really funny that you should say that because I have this book here. I don't know if you're even familiar with this. If you, if you like this guy, <laughs> Dr. Phil's Phil real yeah, life. Of course. Um, I read a lot. I love to read. Uh, I was an English major uh, when I was younger. So he talks about the seven worst days of your life. Um, and, um, and you have to do a lot of self-work to be, be an artist. You have to read and encourage yourself and that sort of, so I, so I do. But uh, that's funny. Um, when somebody's having a hard time, um, it, it talks about in the book that you, uh, a lot of times the best you can do is to just be there and listen and check in with them often. And, um, you know, try not to give advice. ridiculous advice. Yeah. Like, well, well, things will get better. Oh, well, you know, you'll find another job. Oh, well, whatever the case may be. So, um so I, anyways, I, I luckily have not had to do with deal with that with, with my parents or anyone like that. Um, however, my really good friend has um, stage four cancer and oh. he's only 20, he's only 27. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Roommate actually, we used to live together. And then he, um, uh, I had, I, I, he was really by himself, you know, he was afraid to tell people. And so I ended up being as, as uh, the doctor's um, main point of contact because we were so close. And uh, the doctor called me after his operation said, hey, he's at stage four, his chances of living are about a, a year. Um, I was in complete shock. I, I went to visit him and he had, his stomach was all cut up from from his pelvis all the way up, almost yeah. to his sternum. Um, and there was nothing I could do, I realized, but to just be there and cheer him up. Um, I don't care for him. He, do, he, does have, he does have a mother. He lives in Orange County now with his mom. Um, but I check in on him often and, um, I try to cheer him up. And the, the craziest thing that I learned about that experience is that when we talk, he would like to talk about anything but that <laughs> yeah. he will bring up old jokes, uh, old inside jokes, like anything he will talk about it, but it's not his focus. You know, he's not looking for advice. He's not looking for for me to talk about that topic he's looking for me to make him feel like you know like we used to hang when we would hang out before sure. cancer sure. so um so i you know what i for a long time I, I, the answer is i didn't know what to say yeah. um and i realized that just being there was um was a lot for people well for many you know as bad as the condition he's in 
his mother could be in worse condition because like I said, you know, it's tough being a caregiver. It's tough caring for them. And I'd love to see her and people like her, you know, join me in Acapulco one day to help them unwind, rejuvenate and just save their lives, you know? Um, she doesn't speak English, <laughs> but, and the idea of going somewhere like that would probably be foreign to her. She's from Afghanistan. However, oh wow, it's, yeah. So she, I'm sure culturally internalizes her pain. Uh, she's Muslim and they're, they're from a Muslim family. So, however, that's a great idea. And I wish that she would. All right. Um, well, we appreciate it, Nick. Where can you find info on you? Where can we go to check out stuff for your music and everything? Uh, you can go to, uh, you know, Nick Buick, B-E-W-I-C-K on Spotify, on iTunes, and then at Nick underscore Buick, B-E-W-I-C-K on Instagram, and also um, pretty much TikTok or anywhere else. Same handle. All right. Appreciate it, Nick. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks for All right. Me. Take care. See ya. Okay. See ya. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show and also The Media Giant Effect, and I'm excited to welcome podcaster, author, Marisa Jones. Marisa, thanks for stopping by. And, you know, uh, last time we talked about workplace, we talked about specifically enough, you know, self-care. Today we're going to talk winter blues. Why? Because in Texas it's 22 degrees. Uh, there is, we're, everyone is dealing with a cold streak unless you live in Florida or you live in some tropical land. And when you don't see the sun as much and you're stuck in an office and you go out and it's dark, and it's gloomy, and you don't really get the opportunity to get the sunlight you need, it leads to the winter blues, and then the cold, and having to put all these different layers on. Why is it that people become depressed in the winter? Well, you know, our bodies are, we want to be outside. We want to be in tune to nature, and, and believe it or not, the sun really impacts our serotonin levels and has such an, you know, just feeling the warmth of the sun and, and the vitamin D with the sun. Most of, A lot of us even take supplements for vitamin D, but being outside more than anything is what our bodies need. It's just really healthy, and who doesn't love a day where you walk outside because the sun is shining and it's like you just want to be outside all day. So when the winter time comes and you're trapped in the house because it's raining, depending on where you live, it could be it's raining all day long or it's snowing or temperatures are in single digits. Um, it makes you feel trapped. Right. It makes you feel like you can't do anything and you can't leave anywhere except for, you know, maybe going to the work work or running some errands. And it just puts a damper on on your day and, and your mood and your mental health. I mean, there's yeah, there's I, a serious thing called seasonal affective disorder. A lot of people have it, especially in areas like Seattle, where it rains all day. Um, it's pretty prominent. Um I suffer from it. I definitely, that's why I'm here in Florida. I'm in short sleeves uh, because I have, I had to get away. Uh, you know, it was just really impacting me to the point where I needed to get out of town. Well, it's very interesting to talk about seasonal. Uh, think about Pittsburgh next to Seattle, Washington. And that's where I was for X amount of years. Now I'm in Texas and I'm happy except today when it's 22. But ultimately, even if you're stuck in a place and then finally, when you do get to get out, and you go outside, you feel great when it's sunny. When it's right. not sunny, you feel like garbage. And if it's cold and gloomy and everything, so the seasonal depression is definitely out there. And if you don't get enough sunlight, so being outdoors is such an important thing. Do you have tips for people that they're dealing with this winter depression as the winter blues is, I guess we'll title today's program. Absolutely. So the first thing is, you know, even if the weather's too cold to go outside or it's raining, you can't go outside. There's a few things that you can do. Uh, for instance, the first thing I do in the morning, I have a picture of myself and my two dogs standing in a river in the springtime. And uh, and I have it posted right in front of my bed. And so every morning when I get up, that's the first thing I look up, look at. And and I and I envision myself there from a mood perspective. I can feel myself being in the river with my dogs. And just a few moments of that visioning really creates the mood for the day, regardless of what the weather is like outside, because now I may not be able to do that for the day, but it, it, it's a reminder. It's almost like a check-in with yourself of, of how you want to feel. Um, so that's definitely one of the things you can do is find a place that's really means uh, something to you, being outside or being with friends and family um, from a place where you can't uh, go to. Um, so that that's a recommendation. 
And it's it's a situation where you find things that you enjoy, like different things, make it not so always Groundhog Day all over again, which we dealt with with COVID. And we've we've really never reprogrammed ourselves away from COVID in a way of how we dealt with things. We're so used to, okay, I can just work a straight 14 hours at a desk and not have to move at all and get caught up in calls and caught up in specific things. And that can be just one day, but it doesn't. And, and, and ways of doing that. And, and sometimes, Marisa, it's a situation where maybe watching when you're doing monotonous work, a, a movie, or doing certain things where you're not as productive is an okay thing sometimes, especially if you can't do anything. That you're absolutely today, you know, there's no way for me to go and and travel to salad and go and get some nice salad and go salad and go is the best place in texas by the way for a very low cost salad that's healthy and they, they really good healthy food you can't so i'm waiting for that check from salad and go but ultimately i'm not gonna be able to go out to salad and go tonight you know i'm not gonna be able to go out to the grocery store tonight i'm gonna be stuck in which is weird for saying in texas but ultimately that's where you're, you're you try to find do something fun each and every day and you reward yourself in the especially in the winter am i correct with some sort of reward because of the hard work you've done self rewarding yourself is such an important thing don't expect other people to validate you i'm learning that now and, 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 and at age 50 that i don't need other people's validation i could validate myself for the success i've done or something i've done well and pat myself on the back not have to ask someone else to pat me on the back and i think it's because we're so not wanted to give ourselves stuff and give ourselves things because we're told being selfish is the wrong thing to do when ultimately it's the best thing for our mental health right so having that tv right so you're, you're i'm on the right track right Absolutely. That- you know, I don't watch TV. I'd rather be outside. But in the, in those times that you you can't. Um, yeah, it's just it's just looking at things from a different perspective, whether you sit down and it's watching a movie or even just the fact that how often does it snow at, or or hailstorm in Texas? Right? Uh, well, I'm a Pittsburgher, so I don't want to even know that's here, but that's for other people. But, but for those that rarely see it, look out the window. Just enjoy the view. Right. Look, try to try to observe it rather than just be impacted right by it, right? Just stand, look out the window, watch people drive and pass through it, through it. Look at the hail coming down, look at the snow, just appreciate it and change your perspective, even if for a few moments, right? Think about what you could do. It's um, all about it's, mindset, isn't it? It's all about it's how we look at, look at every experience and every situation as, okay, I need more or I want to have more and that's why I want more. And it's And I'm not gonna be disappointed if I don't get it. And, and when bad things happen, as uh, Dr. Mary talks about loss, loss of everything, that we go through losses each and every day, how do we overcome that tough situation that just happened to us? How do we overcome these situations? And winter blues is a loss. A lot of people don't want to be stuck. COVID was a loss for us. And how do right. we now navigate through that? And that's the type of stuff you do, Marisa, especially helping companies with their employees so that they can keep that. Because if you don't have that mental health in order, which a lot of us are still dealing with, we all deal with mental health in some way, but people are dealing really bad. They're not going to perform well at work. Are they Marisa? Nope. Not at all. And, and, and to what you talked about is everyone is so busy and they're, they're in work and, and they operate just trying to get the work done. Right. And it might be, they can't go out or they can't go exercise because of weather. But what's important is that they have to take care of their mental health. If their mental health is strong, then when it, when you have an off day, when, when you're struggling because you can't go out and you have the winter blues, you, when you have a balanced mental health, um, then you can, you can manage those days, right? You can deal with those days and it just makes it a lot easier. So it's not just, I'm having a really bad day and I have to fix this day. It's about living with intention every single day to make sure you support yourself through the good days, through the bad days and, and keep a more balanced lifestyle from a mental health perspective. Best place people can connect with you is where Marisa? Uh, MyEverydayBeing.com, and, uh, I'm always available. All right. Thanks again. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment.
We're back to the Neil Haley Show and also the Media Giant Effect. And we've been really highlighting, spotlighting entrepreneurs, CEOs. I'm excited to welcome the program, Peter Goodmanson. Peter, thanks for stopping by, man. And you know what? It's the, There is something in our blood, right? Entrepreneurship, CEO type stuff that we really just feel like creating and touching things and seeing how they work in ways and figuring it out in certain ways where people wouldn't want to put those, drag those hours out and really do it, right? There's an phrase, yeah, exactly. In a phrase, intellectual curiosity. That's what really drives uh, interest in life, frankly. I, I hope till the day I die, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn something new. <laughs> Learning. And I learned that as a teacher for so many years and then went into the entrepreneur journey. But how did your entrepreneur journey start? Yeah, I mean, somewhat, somewhat uh, um, curiously, I actually uh, grew up in suburban New York. I was the, my parents had met at the United Nations. So my father from Iceland, my mother from Canada. So yeah. I grew up thinking I might be a diplomat when I got older, as kids often just default to what their parents do. Uh, but I studied history in college, and then I was a marine marine artillery officer for a few years, and I went to business school at, at Harvard, and then. From there, I dabbled in Wall Street for a little bit, didn't really like it. I learned that I really wanted to run things. Uh, and uh, so that's uh, that's how I ended up in a, in a business career. It's, uh, it's uh, a way to run organizations and really help people and learn new things. Let's back it up first. Harvard. Okay. Now yeah. we're talking about educated. We're talking about how did you, how hard did you work in school to get to Harvard? You know, that's uh, pretty, yeah, pretty hard. I was a good, a good student. I went to Brown University undergrad, studied oh. history, history there. Um, but uh, actually what, what paid off the most in business school was the military experience uh, because uh, uh, at the age of what, 25 or so when I was in the MBA program, I had actually um, led Marines, whereas a lot of my colleagues who were very, very bright um, had worked at places like Goldman Sachs and McKinsey, and they had managed spreadsheets uh, and, and PowerPoint, not people. And uh, so much of business is about people, not just numbers. That's so true. People, not just numbers. And you, do you think you learned that in Brown in certain ways? Uh, I, I think the Marine Corps, really. I mean, oh, Marine. what, Marines. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. That, Brown, not so much. I mean, Brown is more more intellectual abstractions, uh, you know. But but uh, yeah, the Marine Corps is there's there's no laboratory uh, for leadership like the military in general, and specifically in my case, the Marine Corps. See, I'm I'm very impressed by this because you have the education background, but you saw from the military. It gave you the ability to lead. You had the intellectual ability, and intellectual is so important to learn all the time, to constantly learn new things, to, to keep up with the competition. But ultimately, if you're not a people person, if you're not able to delegate, and you're not going to be successful. So you have it, the full package, it sounds like, Peter. Exactly. Well, yeah. And also, I would say that military service is also very good for uh, learning humility and understanding that good ideas can come from anywhere. I mean, a, a, a Lance Corporal who's 19 years old might have an idea that the general hadn't thought of. And you have to keep your ears open for that. And the last thing you want, especially if you have name brand uh, credentials otherwise, the old, I went to Harvard Business School, stand back, I have the answers, is is absolutely a, a recipe for disaster. So always keep your ear open and be be open to the, where, where good ideas can come from. Oh, no doubt about it. Like, think about this. My, I mean, education, I definitely was educated, but first I went undergrad, gra dropped out of school to become a professional wrestler, came back, got my undergrad, then went and got went to grad school for a teacher and got my master's in education and then basically saw the value of education. It was hard for me to see it. You had the right parents that probably, you know, pushed you towards that, or you had that intrinsic motivation uh, to be successful, to go to school, to to want to achieve high level results. Achiever must be one of your top talents. Achiever's mind, according to Gallup, uh, and ideation's number one. Let's talk about, you know, specifically enough, your entrepreneur journey businesses. How did they develop? Which businesses do you currently have? And what is your your big focus. Yeah, I, I follow a pattern what I call buy, grow, sell, which is which is uh, to buy or occasionally be hired to run a small business, grow it of, over the course of four or five years, and then usually sell it. Um, I, I try not to get greedy. I, I another way to phrase it is I, I have a career of triples. Uh, a lot of people, uh, who, some entrepreneurs are really wired to do the what I call two geeks in a garage. You know the Hewlett Packard mythology and all right. that, where it's we're going to take a swing at it and maybe it'll end up being. Google, but it'll probably end up being nothing. I'm not like that. I, I much prefer, I, there's nothing's a sure, a sure bet, but I'd rather take something from, you know, 2 million in, in, in profit to, to 5 million in profit and sell it uh, rather than, um, 
then try to squeeze it to, to uh, beyond its 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 capabilities. Perhaps it's a little bit of a cautious uh, uh, approach, uh, but it's worked for me. All right. So, so let's talk about specifically enough the current business year. Yeah. So I, I, I'm CEO of a company called Be Home 24-7. It's a property management company, uh, a property management software. We serve two markets, vacation rentals and or short-term and vacation rentals, and then residential, which is mostly single family for rent. And the software controls smart devices like locks and thermostats and leak detectors and noise detectors and so on, and then integrates those with operating workflows like housekeeping, maintenance management, vendor management, that sort of thing. And then finally, all that is packaged in the context of uh, resident or guest communication. So if you've ever stayed in a vacation rental where there's a three ring binder that has, uh, you know, the Wi-Fi code and local restaurant uh, uh, discount coupons, all that's electronic now in our software. So it's it's a very good space. It's the, the space is globally called um, prop tech or property technology. It's one of the hotter areas in technology. And right right now, the technology uh, um, sector as a whole is a little bit in retreat. Uh, uh, the, the big companies, the Googles and the Apples and so on, have overhired, and so they're 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 cleansed, taking the advantage of an economic downturn to sort of cleanse their uh, their rosters a little bit. Not so in prop tech. Prop tech is very hot, um, and because um, real estate is one of the last sectors of our society that has really not yet um, uh, taken advantage of the digital revolution, and that's what we're we're uh, partaking in. Let's see, that's very, very smart. And do you guys have people that are Airbnb people? that yeah, We do the- plug into Airbnb, Airbnb VRBO, uh, Booking.com, all of those, they're called CRMs, Customer Relationship Management, uh, marketing things. So they are at the front end and the back end, there are property management systems that have accounting and that sort of stuff. We sit in the middle along with the property management system. It's really all the activity of the business that occurs in the four walls of the condo or the house or the apartment. So who's your customer? Our customer is property managers, either third-party property managers or owner-operators, people who own their own properties. So it could be, it's amazingly, in vacation rental is a very diverse space. There are huge companies um, that have thousands of units under management, but a lot of it is 50 or 100 units under management. Uh, for example, I'm going to uh, Destin, Florida in a couple of days for a business conference in, and uh, Destin, places like that. I mean, almost every condo you see is, is, is professionally managed by a property manager because the owner might be a dentist in nashville uh or something um and uh in the in the residential world it tends to be more sort of wall street money in reits real real estate investment trusts that are building owning and building thousands of houses at a time especially in growth areas i'm i live in dallas but places like dallas houston atlanta are just turning uh, prairie or forest into suburbia at a rapid rate even with high interest rates like we have now so what is the biggest challenge getting that information out there, especially because you're you're really B, you're not just a B2B, it seems like, because again, a lot of C's are their businesses, but yet they're smaller. It's right? B2B, it's B2B, and then the B's you know, work with the C's. Um, okay. I, I, I feel like Dave Chappelle saying that is, is a bad joke. But the, the, the um, yeah, so so um, the biggest challenge we have is that real estate people are very small C conservative. They just, um, they, they tend to uh, worry about um, the day-to-day problems like housekeeping or, or, or whatever, or maintenance management. And they don't necessarily think to invest for the longer haul. And um, software of any type is is it's a financial cost up front, but it's also a a um, uh, attention uh, uh, deficit. You have to learn how to use it, uh, and most people resist that. And so they'll note it's kind of like joining the gym or losing weight. Here we are in January, where a lot of people are doing that. Everyone admits they want to do it; they just want to start next week. Uh, and so that's that our biggest challenge is, is to break that procrastination cycle. Uh, people know they need to do it. They will do it eventually. And because of that, they're not eager to get started. What is your what is your value proposition that get, makes you different from your competition or to the fit that mold of the real estate people? Because, again, you're saying they don't want to invest, but you what solution do you fix? That yeah, so it, it, it's it's really uh, threefold. It is it is. 
um, saving money, which is mostly labor and energy. Energy is a big way. So for example, not uncommon if you're a property manager, you might have a condo in say Florida, in Miami in uh, in July and it's blasting the air conditioner at 60 degrees and no one's there. Oh, um, so that's a crime to the planet and it's a crime to your bottom line. So if you have a centralized system that'll tell you, hey, why is unit 362 at 60 degrees when it's no one's in there and you can change it remotely without having to send somebody out in a pickup truck or a golf cart that saves a lot of money. So uh, so that also saves, makes labor more efficient. Uh, and then it delivers a better customer experience. Uh, these days, if you remember, say, 15 years ago, if you visited a hotel, you'd be happy if it had Wi-Fi. Now, if you stay in a hotel and the Wi-Fi is not blazing fast, you think there's something wrong with the hotel. I mean, you can you, you know, everything else can be beautiful and you condemn it for being not digitally hip or you know up to date. Right. It's the same way with other digital smart home and other things. If, if you're fumbling with a metal lock or a, a, a key card uh, in a hotel, it's not a great experience. I mean, you expect things to be more modern, to use your phone to unlock the, the door or to um, you know, use a code that you've been given um, in, in the combination uh, pad, things like that. So, so yeah, so it's, so it's saving money. It's, it's uh, delivering a better uh, customer experience or resident experience. Um, and, and then finally, reducing risk. It's not so sexy, but things like leak detectors, noise detectors, smoke detectors, some of those are by code. But for example, a leak on the top floor of an apartment building is going to cause a lot, a lot of damage. And if you could could have gotten uh, ahead of that with a with a moisture meter or a leak detector uh, that senses that. Another thing that's interesting these days is uh, noise monitoring, believe it or not. Um, you mentioned Airbnb. It's a challenge in a lot of communities, especially around spring break or or when when uh, partiers uh, rent a unit, and the the the, no the uh, music is being played too loudly. Uh, a no uh, a noise monitor can detect that and then then um, text the resident to say, "Hey, it's after quiet hours and you're being too loud." And nine times out of ten, that solves it. People don't want to be rude; they just forgot. They just got excited about their little party. Uh, and that saves, you don't have to call the police out and all that sort of stuff, which really annoys neighbors. And then you end up with uh, people at, at City Hall uh, or at uh, town council meetings asking for uh, Airbnb restrictions and so on. So it all ties in together. Uh, so risk reduction is the third major benefit. So the property management, again, there's so many things that come under property management. Yeah. There are apartments, there are Airbnbs, there are other types of things. So you really run in a gamut and real estate, like certain yeah. big real estate uh, dealings. So it, you, you keep busy in this, but this solution. So the bottom line, when you have these conversations with people, they mm -hmm. understand then that they're going to save money on the long run. It's a exactly. future thing where, hey, yet right now it might cost you, but it's going to cost you a lot in staffing. It's going to cost you a lot in bad reviews because Airbnbs live off of reviews. If they don't get the good reviews, they don't get more business. Exactly so it increases right. the bottom line and all those things. All right. That's so exactly right. And they know it's going to work. They just, they just, we're all human and we tend to procrastinate. That's the only issue. What other business, do you have any other businesses right now? Or is this? No, that's my, that's my only current one. I'm, I, I sit on some boards of, of other small companies uh, uh, and, and a large charter school system here in Texas as well. Um, so that's more of community service than, uh, than I, I do as a volunteer. Um, but I also have my eye out and, uh, you know, we'll keep growing. This one has such great prospects that I'll focus on this for the next couple of years and uh and see what see where it goes all right best place people can find you where can they connect uh yeah probably linkedin um is a great place to find me personally and then my company behome247.com b-e home247.com all right we appreciate it peter it was a, Thanks, a really great conversation you're listening and watching the neil haley show we'll be back in just a moment we're back to neil haley show the media giant effect i'm excited to welcome the program podcaster entrepreneur troy nelson troy what's going on man and how did you come up with an idea to do a podcast you know it's i've talked to so many podcasters and i'm going to give you this advice never stop doing it if you enjoy it Lots of people look at numbers. They look at certain things when they start instead of staying the course. I stayed the course 13 years and I've done over 9,000 plus episodes and have grown business a business because of it. So it is a great thing. So tell me more about your podcast, Troy. Well, I'm an actor by background um, and, uh, so, and I've been in sales and speaking. So it seemed like a, a natural 
progression to be able to talk to people and connect and network. Uh, I know everybody in the world has their own podcast, but I live in Southwest Florida. We've gone through the pandemic and we just went through a hurricane, did some stuff. I thought it was a way to spotlight what we've gone through here locally and on the, on the comeback and for people to have a voice for, you know, making say it, saying that they're still here and for coming on. We just build out from there that, uh, that, you know, those people and nonprofits and people have been going through the pandemic and all these things, giving them a voice, something to tell their stories. I, I thought telling my story and what I've gone through as a entrepreneur and single dad and I have an autistic kid, it gave me kind of a relatability to be able to pass on my story of overcoming and doing things and that connect with other people. And the combination of the two stories is something we can give as a blueprint to other people. So Troy, tell me specifically about your entrepreneurship. What do you do? I am a, I have a small uh, um, video production company. We do, we do videos mostly for websites and social media, Facebook, Instagram, those kind of things. We're starting to do a lot of fun little stuff that get on TikTok and Snapchat and teaching people how to make quick, fun videos, something a little bit out of the box. But we also do social media marketing, you know, teaching people how to run their Facebook page, we'll run it for them to do some of that stuff. Basically, a one-stop shop for somebody starting a business, small business owner, how to get their how to get their message out, how to brand themselves, how to do those things. So we, we just try and take the, the little guy and show him how to produce himself to the world. And that's so, so important because they need to be able to do that. They need to have a personal brand. Tell me why it's such important for businesses to have a brand. Well, in these days and ages and uh, where the economic outlook is now, they say in a good economy market, in a bad economy market even more. But what people don't realize, even if they don't, the first place they seem to steal money is from marketing. But that's probably where you need to be putting your effort and your time and teaching people that they may know how to make a widget or they may know how to do this stuff. And maybe they're not the best at marketing themselves or showing other people how to do that. They, they, you're not going to get known or, or be anyone until somebody sees you or knows how to come towards you. So branding and marketing is the key to success or keeping the doors open. They don't know you're there. They're not coming. Yeah, exactly. They're not coming. And you have to be able to do that to differentiate themselves, to understand that. And the power of video very is very, very important. So you're going to be talking to different people that are looking to get a voice on your podcast. Is that what you're doing? That is correct. We want to talk to the experts in, in a lot of different fields uh, um, and, 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 and personal stories. But yeah, I want to bring in, bring in people to tell their story, overcoming whether they're in a certain profession, everybody has a story and how they got there and how they how they became a success in their particular field and situation. So I like to bring that and make it relatable. And like you said, the everyday guys, that they know that those stories, a lot of times you see these guys on TV or Tony Robbins, Grant Cardone, they're great people and make great, but maybe isn't as relatable as getting, getting somebody like me or look like me to think that, well, maybe that can make a difference. And this guy's not here just to sell me a program. He really wants to make a difference in my life. Like, you know, that, that, I think that edge off of that intimidation to, to, to make it more relatable. Exactly. And that's the key thing in podcasting is developing that relationship and having a, those conversations. Um, what kind of, so, so far you launched your first podcast. So tell us people about it. Tell us about it. Okay. Well, first couple series we're doing, I'm doing with a, a gentleman named James Mace. He's developed a program called the power of the process. He's, He's a motivational speaker and has a a uh, as a five step process and gaining your goals and stuff. So uh, we've been talking the first couple of weeks on his his uh, program and, and and step by step dealing that out to people. Uh, my first podcast is I'm going to be talking about um, my story and I'm bringing on a couple of local writers and artists to tell their story and kind of um, their their uh, their their experiences through the hurricane that we had just down here and how it's come back, how things are changing. I have an author who's writing a book on what she went through on that. So it's kind of an overcoming story and kind of that rebirthing of some of the stuff in the areas just leveled that you know a few months ago when Ian came through. 
All right. So the best place people can connect with you and watch and listen to the podcast is where and watch it. Well, they can come to my website at fifthgearmedia.tv or find me on Fifth Gear Media on Facebook or Instagram. Well, we appreciate it. It's great information and definitely you got to stay in touch and let us know how the podcast is going. Wishing you all the luck, Troy. I know you're and you're helping businesses figure out they, they, they're stuck at times. They need to have somebody with your knowledge base to be able to help them. So I appreciate it, Troy, for stopping by. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show and also the media giant effect. I'm excited to welcome the program, Alan Knight. Alan, entrepreneur, author. How are you, Alan? Thanks for stopping by, man. I'm doing well, Neil. How are you doing? Fantastic. And our topic today, we're going to talk about assertive confidence when we're presenting, when we're trying to potentially have somebody buy something from us, when we're just basically every day working with our clients. Assertive confidence is very important, isn't it? Okay, not just that, Neil, but also... Dating, parenting, any relationship, most people are being uh, getting into dysfunctional relationships, partly because they're not communicating with the confidence and assertiveness they need to earn that respect. So it could apply to anyone. All right. So let's kind of talk about defining assertive confidence, first of all. Well, what, the reason I put those two words together is for years, I, I lived, I think you, I told you that I lived as a, a Zen monk for nine years of my life. Then I, when I left the monastery, I realized that accessing the Zen zone and that mindset is important, but unless you integrate it with every aspect of your life, it was going to be limited. And I realized that the future of the world was going to be entrepreneurship. I was very fascinated with the whole concept of attracting deep connections, soul, heart centered connections. Soulmate revolution is part of what I do. And so I knew that confidence was a big part of what I teach. But then the communication skills also are important. They need to be combined. So assertiveness is when people take their confidence and put it into practice in their daily communication with other people. So I'm asserting myself with inner confidence and I bridge the two together. So what are people, why aren't people showing assertive confidence? Give me an example of what, someone who doesn't show assertive confidence let's say, uh, while presenting versus somebody who does. Can you give me that example to see? Well, the simplest one, the most fun one, is going on a date. Okay. I remember, I remember in my young years, and I, women considered me relatively attractive kind of guy. I met them. I, I get, again, I, I go to first base, have a date, and then with a short period of time, they lost interest in me. And if I'd see someone I was really attracted to, my insecurity and fear would kick in because I thought, She's, she, I'm not good enough for her. My brother, I lived in the shadow of my brother, who was Mr. Everybody, medical school, great athlete, really good looking. And I lived in a conference. So I had this inner emotional, psychological virus, you might say, that got triggered when I would meet someone I was really attracted to or in business, could potentially close a sale with someone I really wanted to sell. But I was intimidated by asking for the sale because my insecurity and fear kicked in and screwed up my communication. Like if I walked to a, a, up to a woman and that, you, you, you wouldn't want to dance with me, would you? And of course, <laughs> they say no, you turn around and you go back and say, never again, I'm never going to do that again. And you live your whole life not going after what you really want. So it's very insidious. So based on what you learned as a Zen monk, here's the question. Assertive confidence in everyday being, it's challenging because there's these ups and downs in your life, ups and downs of specific things. You could be on an all-time high and then go to a low and then the next call comes or the next thing happens. And you have to challenge yourself to kind of put that game face on and go through, even though in your body, you might not. So what kind of practices should, especially entrepreneurs, a lot of them listen to my program and business owners should, what, how can, especially the YouTube channel, can bring a little bit more sort of confidence in their daily life. Like what things should we practice so that we do this? It can't be as easy as saying, okay, I'm confident now. Totally. <laughs> You're hundred percent right. That's why when I left the monastery and I missed, I lived there and I accessed what I call the Zen zone, that space of inner peace, tranquility, contentment. And then when I went into society, I missed women too much. I went back into society and I was a basket case. And I learned that unless you connect that inner peace and tranquility that a lot of people are after in the self-development world, unless you connect that 
with the emotional well-being, psychological well-being, physical well-being, financial well-being, connect, so, uh, uh, relationship well-being. Unless you connect all the dots, it's going to be limited. And that's why I created over the, I'm not saying this to sell it to you, but that's why I created this nine-step formula that connects all the dots. So if you actually work on yourself, part of it is mindset, not all of it. Part of it is changing your thoughts from negative to positive. Part of it's channeling your emotions. Part of it is getting clear on your vision, being crystal clear. Part of it is uh, being able to manage the challenges and obstacles. Well, they come our way. Like you said, you're up and you're down. Well, that's self-mastery, which is number six of my nine steps. And in the self-mastery, when you've worked on your inner fitness enough, when you worked on your actions and accountability in number five, now you're ready to take on the, I call them the scud missiles of life. They come your way, but well, you've learned to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and get back in the zone, back in the zone, and then communicate with assertiveness. So it's a Zen approach to communication. Uh, makes Yeah, absolute sense. Where can people find out? I mean, you're giving us this keys saying, okay, there's specific areas that everyone needs to work on. I don't think everyone has what you've created. Uh, if they did, everyone would be you know, having a sort of confidence in everything in their lives. There's definitely areas that everyone does not have the right assertive confidence. So where can they can find info? Where's the best place? Is it purchasing a book or is it your course or what is it to learn those? Well, the best way is to go to my website, alanknight.com is my website. You'll get all the information there. If you want to buy my book, you can certainly go. It's on there. You can get it at Amazon, Mind Gone Wild. I have another one called Soulmate Revolution. If you want to book a call with me, I'm happy to do, a, as, as part of being on this show, a 45-minute complimentary x-ray assessment. No obligation. You don't have to take any coaching whatsoever. I'll show you exactly what's holding you back and, and, the, and the strategy out of that so that you can turn that around within 60 to 90 days in a very powerful way. If you want to take coaching, you can. If you want to be a coach, we have now a certified coaching program where you not only uh, you might be a coach and don't have a program, or you might have a program that's different than mine. You might be interested in a certified coaching program. So alanknight.com would be the best place to get it. We appreciate it, Alan. Such great information. All right. Take care. Thank you so much, Neil. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. This is the most important one. We fast forward five years, you know, after this had happened to me and where I am today. And I am in the most wonderful job that a person could have. I am in a great place with people who value me, where I'm paid what I am worth, where I have a say. And I guess my point is the universe is very eloquent. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a great show again, another special edition of Feel, Deal, and Heal. Reinventing Yourself After Loss with our host, Dr. Mary. Dr. Mary, how are you? What's going on? Hey, I'm doing great, Neil. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And, you know, our first two episodes really just set the bar so high because <laughs> we talk about loss and how yeah. people are able to share it and come up with strategies. There are so many people hurt right now that needs a, a positive message like yours, Dr. Mary. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it really is a, an important topic. And I'm glad that people are open to being able to have some uh, frank discussions around the stigma as well as, you know, grief is a natural process in terms of loss. So it's a natural response. And so I'm glad that people are, you know, are opening up and amenable to having conversations about this uh, topic. So today we have as our special guest, Teresa Chase. Let me tell you a little bit about Teresa. She's a sociologist and literacy engagement specialist who has worked with many diverse audiences throughout her career. She's a lifelong proponent of social justice and dedicated to making the world a better place one day at a time. Welcome, Teresa Chase. Hi, Dr. Mary. Hi, Neil. It's so great to be here this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. 
thank you so much for being here. And I, you know, I, I was um, talking earlier and I, I said that Teresa is one of my clients and Teresa has been following me for many, many years. And I would say that she probably is one of the, well, she is, there's no probably to it, but she is a model client. And I am just so delighted to be able to welcome you into this space today, Teresa. Oh, thank you, Dr. Mary. So, so let's, let's just jump in really quickly. Um, tell us just briefly about a significant loss that you have experienced. Well, I have to say, I did some thinking before coming on today. And although, you know, in life, we experience a lot of loss throughout the different years that we're here, for some reason, it kept coming back to a dream job that I lost. Mm -hmm. And... I know that I'm still healing from it and I can definitely talk about it today, but mm -hmm. that one was a life-changing loss and I thought it would be really appropriate to bring it today so we could discuss it. Yes. So so tell us a little bit about how you navigated that loss. You, you've indicated that you lost uh, a job and that is a very difficult uh, situation. A lot of times people don't think about grief in terms of job loss. But that is a significant part sometimes of who we are in terms of identity, how we identify ourselves, and especially in terms of our self-efficacy, in terms of achievement and goals and everything. So how did you navigate that loss? Well, I have to admit, um, it came very unexpectedly. And because it was a job where I had put my whole self in, Mm -hmm. I found it very difficult to get my whole self out. Um, mm. This job was everything I ever wanted. I was so grateful for the opportunity. And by all accounts, everything was going well. And so to unexpectedly find that I was no longer in the role that I had, uh, I literally was, you know, in bed for a couple days at first because the timing of it was horrible. It was a couple of days before Christmas. Oh, my. And so we have other stressors going on. And it was a, a horrible time to lose a job, let alone one that was so important to me. And I learned very quickly in the first few days that this was going to be something unlike anything I'd experienced before. Of course, I had had many jobs over my career and all of them, you know, lent something to me. I learned something, I came away with something. But in this particular case, uh, I could tell right away that I was going to need some deep intervention if I was going to make it. And again, I don't think a lot of people understand that, you know, a job is just a job. And I, I know a lot of people say that you can always get another job. Yeah. But depending on the role you have, what you've put into it and how much it means to you, it can be very devastating to suddenly have that no longer a viable option for you. Absolutely. And, you know, I did, like I said, the first few days I realized this is really bad and mm. I'm not sure how to get out of, you know, how to climb out of this hole. Um, my family was, you know, around me. They were, of course, trying to be helpful and reassuring and supportive. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I knew it was going to come down to just me. I was going to have to figure it out. And, you know, Teresa, a lot of people take their job very, very seriously. Lots. Mm -hmm. And they also make it like it's pretty much their life. Their life is their job. Their business is their job. So to lose a job that you love and it doesn't feel like work it does take time to heal. Don't you agree, Dr. Mary? Absolutely. I mean, it's not, it can't just be a last situation. I remember in the professional wrestling business, when I walked away, I didn't lose it, but I chose to leave a profession I loved to change my life and make a change. But that loss still sticks with me today, 25 plus years later. Why did I walk away? So Absolutely. isn't that interesting to look at those things, Dr. Mary? It really is. And, and and I've been in that situation, too, where um, at, there was a layoff situation and they t walk in and tell you like at the, the day that you, they're going to walk you out that we're laying off staff and you have no idea. And so it's it's like you're you, you go out and you almost feel like a pariah. It's like, what what just happened? How am I going to get through this? And in my case, actually, they called back a couple of weeks later. 
And I, I told them, I said, no, I don't want to, I don't want to come back <laughs> because I'd already gotten myself through it and I was still dealing with it. But I thought if you did this to me once, you'll do it to me again. And I'm not going to stay and, and, and deal with that. But Teresa, how did you recover? What did you do? What kind of strategies, what kinds of, uh, what did you do for yourself psychologically, um, emotionally, physically, spiritually? What did you do to, to recover from the loss? Well, <clears throat> I think the most important thing was it took me a couple of weeks to realize that, you know, this job was, I didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything inappropriate. It wasn't a case of, you know, those are clear cut situations that I just mentioned where, you know, that if you did something inappropriate or wrong, of course, of course, you're going to be let go. Uh, but I reminded myself that the reason I was chosen for the role I was in was because of my resiliency and my ability to problem solve and multitask and all of those things. And so mm -hmm. I really had to sit with my discomfort for a couple of weeks. I really did. Um, and I had to go from the internalized hurt I was feeling to a more proactive approach. Mm -hmm. And I guess in my case, I did it more of a, I'm going to move on in spite for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. 